It works. Yeah. The man, Dow Move. Biarte, how are you, man? Mm, I'm pretty good. It's been a uh, uh, trying couple since we had our baby, but it's uh, yeah. Can, congratulations again. Um, how do you feel like uh, your training has changed since uh, another little human came in the world? What training? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what sleep? Yeah, what there, training? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There hasn't been uh, much room for it's like a structured training practice. It's more been kind of just finding moments in between where I'm just kind of exploring on my own uh, without really uh, a strong container around it or just playing around. So like your usual practice, huh? Basically. <laughs> Maybe business as usual. Infant teacups, you know, the usual. <laughs> um, so yeah. for people who aren't familiar with you, um, could you go into your like superhero origin story, the, the Kill Bill uh, training with a master, a Tai Chi master? I'd love to hear about that. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, there is quite a story, I guess, of uh, how Dao Move came into being and how it all transpired. Um, I guess to sum it up, it's uh, I started practicing Tai Chi at around 19, when I was 19, and uh, both of my parents are uh, Tai Chi teachers. So I was kind of brought up in a family uh, where that culture was really at the center of what we were kind of immersed in. And then uh, when I was around 22 or 23, I ended up uh, going. So I moved to China initially just for half a year. I went to Beijing to study uh, Mandarin. And, uh, yeah, I went to the sports university to practice Tai Chi there. And I, when I arrived there, I really discovered that um, what they were teaching at the sports university at Beijing was not what I was really uh, looking for. It was like more the surface. It was kind of scratching the surface of what Tai Chi really was. Uh, the tai Chi dance more than kind of the internal work is uh my internet okay here i'm hearing you okay okay good yeah and uh then i eventually ended up i had i had a really good tai chi master later in beijing who uh, taught me a lot about the internal side of it and how to really uh, move my qi, my energy, basically, and how to direct my awareness in a way to uh, to get with that internal world. And uh, what happened after that, I guess, is the most 
at least from the outside, more impressive part of my story, which was uh, I traveled, I went to the Wudang Mountains. So the Wudang Mountains is like a Taoist mountain range in China that's been uh, inhabited by Taoists for uh, 1,500 years. And has a culture of martial arts. China, you, they often think of it as uh, you have Shaolin, Shaolin in the north, and then uh, you have the Wudang in the south. And uh, basically, the difference between them is like Wudang is like really soft internal martial arts, and the Shaolin is a little more external and hard. And uh, yeah, when I arrived there in the Wudang Mountains, I met uh, Master Zhong, who was the headmaster of the school. And uh, he really didn't take much of an interest in any of the foreigners who were training there. So there was a small group of foreigners training there. So he would come around to our class and like watch us doing kicks and basic training. And he would often just uh, on, on the side of the courtyard at the temple and he would just look at us for minutes and then he would kind of shake his head and just <laughs> walk off grumbling. And uh, <laughs> I had a few interviews with him through my first half year there and they were always like uh, uncomfortable. Like he was a really severe man. Or he is a really severe man. Like a lot of fire like a lot of a lot of strength and but also not a very uh, uh pleasing will so it's like the prototypical uh martial arts master at the top of the hill the mountain right? indeed indeed uh very much very much uh prototypical stereotypical uh chinese master in many movies and I stayed there for, for half a year. That was my initial intention. And uh, at the end of that time, I was like, oh, I've got to stay here longer. I'm hardly scratching the surface of what this is really about. So I ended up extending for another four months. And Master Zhong gradually started taking more interest in me because... Uh, I spoke Mandarin relatively fluently and because of my lineage and I took a lot of time in inter internal martial arts and very de dedicated to my training when I was there. More dedicated to that than uh, anything I've ever been in my life, I think. Because previous to that, I was always like, like at school, I never did any work and I and I tried, I tried escaping my commitments wherever I could. And I thought that was just because I was a kind of a shitty student. But when I discovered martial arts and that lineage there, I really found something I could give myself. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's when I ended up there. And at the end of those 10 months, 
I went to his house over there, which was like a huge deal. I was terrified. Uh, yeah, I, I sat in his little tea house and he poured me a cup of tea, which I was like drinking with trembling hands from these tiny little teacups. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and at the end of this session, he kind of just asked me, "Well, what's your what's your Chinese name? Or how do you how do you spell it? Which Chinese characters do you use?" Oh well, it's just Biata. My name is Biata, so it's just a like a Chinese transliteration of my Norwegian name. So I was like, I don't really like my name because it like literally uh, translated it can mean something like uh, to Asia, great or something. So <laughs> it's not a really <laughs> great name to have when you're in China. So I asked him, "Oh, maybe you uh, would be willing to give me a, a new name." And when I said that, he literally just closed his eyes, stayed silent for, for, for like a minute or two, and I was just kind of uh, nervously waiting for whatever would come next. And as he eyes, he said, uh, "Your new name will be Lingyuan." And uh, I've decided to offer you to become my disciple as the first Westerner ever. And I was just kind of stunned. I was like, uh, I don't even know what that means. What does that? <laughs> so, and I guess I was silent for a while. So he said, like, uh, do you accept? He repeated that after the first time, and I just kind of me said, uh, "Yes, I accept." Having no idea what you I chose was the really red pill. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, that led me on a down the rabbit hole, so to speak into out of the matrix or whatever metaphor you want to use for it. So I, I, uh, I left back to Norway for a short while back uh, with commitments and, and really went through hell. It was like the next level of training and went through a lot of uh, humbling experience, a lot of very deeply challenging experiences, a lot of loneliness and isolation and extremely hard training, like just to 10 hours a day of training. And uh, so it's like training with the uh, Ido Portal. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess you could say that. <laughs> Slightly different. Well, I guess he's pretty has a reputation for being pretty severe too. Um, yeah, man, that that time was. Uh, yeah, it's weird thinking that that was like part, part of my 
life kind of went through all of that. Obviously, there's like tons of stories to uncover in the middle of all of that. Like, uh, I was living in his house with him for three months or something in the beginning, which was that was probably the hardest part of it. Like, he would just burst into my room after all the training had ended and say, like, get out there and, like, punch out candles for one hour. Like, and I would, he would have this rack where there were, like, candles all set up. And I'd have to be like, like, trying to blow them out with the, the air pressure from my fists. Yes. Yes. Not fun, but after an hour of doing that, like, the pain I was experiencing in my shoulders was unbelievable. <laughs> Which in a way taught me something because I was like with all of this pain I've got to keep going and I had to find a way to punch without it. So, so I'd like to uh, yeah. pick apart the, the physical aspect of this. So you said before that on the surface of the practice you saw it was kind of a choreographed aesthetic external show of dance performance uh, and then you went into the internal but it seems like you know tapping into these internal realms was done through this like physical hardship and pushing yourself um, so can you explain like the difference between the the external physical practice and the internal growth you were having I didn't quite catch the last part of what you said. It seems to be breaking up. Oh, sorry. Could you explain um, the, the kind of external physical portion of your training and how it tied into mm -hmm. the internal practice? Well, um, yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. Like you can't, they're not separate things. Um, so the external part of it was uh, like it could it could take the shape of just basics training like doing uh, 1,500 kicks in half an hour for example like which is really intense to do like it's basically uh, one kick for half an hour and uh, just over a, a period of time kind of transforms you in a way. And definitely forces you to come up with, like to really dig deep for resources in yourself. So internally in that way, um, the more kind of, direct internal training I did was more around standing meditation. Like I would do standing meditation maybe an hour every day, Jeez. which is uh, pretty hard. And it's like really going into the structure of your body and softening and like encountering what's there and releasing into it. So it's sort of a meeting of oneself 
and uh, that softening would then again inform how I proceeded with my more general training. So, yeah, it's a hard one to answer because they, they, they both kind of feed into each other. And the ways they do that, I guess, are in the polarities of hard and soft. So I would consider the internal training is more on the softening side of it, although you definitely need to have appropriate hardness, so to speak, but also um, the external training was like way more just on the gross body, like training your muscles, like making your body more flexible, stretching. And the internal was meeting my mind and, and transforming the intent with which I would perform something. So I guess that is a, is a big difference like between the external and the internal as, as far as the martial arts context is concerned, at least. Like yeah, you, the difference. You can never and, truly separate. No, I wouldn't say you can really truly separate them. Although, if you go into the internal world, you can see masters who have really achieved high levels of internal power. Almost always explore external practices, also like more external practices, like really challenging their bodies strengthening their bodies but if you want to go deep into the internal you've really got to commit to it because it's that's like a surrendering of uh, of uh, will in a way of your will or of your desire to conquer someone it's like you're surrendering to the principles of the internal and then that will generate the force So I can see like there's two kind of slightly different ways of internal. Like one is internal martial arts, which is its own context. And internal as like going on for me emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And this. So I don't want to get them too mixed up, but in all mental, spiritual realm, uh, yeah, it really broke me down to rock bottom and like, made me feel parts of myself I really didn't want to feel. Yeah. And then from there, it kind of, I had, yeah, I had the possibility to build myself self up again, although I definitely unnecessarily also I can I can feel that like in the years following that time I spent loads of time just addressing like pain and feelings of pain and isolation and physical trauma as well as uh, emotional that I drew there like grief that had to be released sounds like a very psychedelic experience 
uh, cycle yeah. we went through. Um, yeah, the the stand an hour standing practice you did that daily. That is um, sounds very difficult. Uh, just from that internal perspective, so that's impressive. Uh, so, what did you feel like your? How did your capacity, as far as the, uh, I mean, on the physical level and the internal level, change after that training? What do you feel like you have available to you now that you've kept? Yeah, good question. Because my practice has transformed a lot since those days. Um, what I gained in practice was a really strong awareness of my body, like an ability to move my body in a very subtle way, which is something I really uh, highly value. It's like with, with how much accuracy I can command this, like my body, how how subtly I can explore my physically. That's something I'm really glad I developed. And that stayed with me also. Like my, my body will always carry the residue of that. I mean, that I spent years building into. And also it definitely influenced me deeply um, my encounter with Taoism. Um, that really informed the way I, I deliver my practice now, which is uh, based on non-action and, and like basically what is a proper way to be in the world or what is the best way in the world? Which is all religions have really been trying to answer or give guidelines to and I, I've been exploring how to, uh, yeah, how to implement that and how to bring that out in myself, but also in the people I work with and especially using this principle of non-action that I interpret as like the full meeting of reality as it is not holding back, not pulling away from it or over-inserting myself into it. Mm. So would you yeah. say um, during your training, uh, during these hard physical activities you had to do that kind of pushed your boundaries and also the, the more stillness uh, internal training, both of them forced you to confront the, the present moment um, and brought you into that awareness? Was that kind of one of the goals of this training? Am I changing my networks yet? Because you uh, are breaking okay. up a lot. Um, that. Um, could you re repeat? Uh-oh. We'll wait till uh, Briarte switches his internet. This is good stuff. 
If anybody has uh, questions in the chat, feel free to type them. Uh, can you hear me now? Now I can hear you, yeah. Yeah, I was just asking, um, so these methods of tra training you did where you were pushing the boundaries of your physical uh, capacity and limits and also on the stillness and internal practice really going deep. Do you feel like um, one of the reasons for doing that or one of the things you gained was it forced you to confront, I guess, the, the present moment and, um, and come fully into that awareness? Yeah. Um, well, it all fed into it ultimately. Um, a really huge process of uh, reintegration into society when I came back from the mountains. Like just encountering uh, Western society again after being on top of a mountain for three years was intense, right? I was like forced to deal with emails and like marketing myself as a teacher and and dealing with how to like counts in order. And after just basically uh, having a schedule of training, eating, sleeping for years. was a huge transition and also the burden that I was carrying transmitting this back to people back how to how to transmit what I was doing and like this role that I was of the Kung Fu master from the mountain was an intent also like it was it basically led me into a really deep depression when I came back. And it wasn't until after about a year that I kind of an intolerable, intolerable yes, where I just, like the bottom fell out and I just had no energy and I was, I'd basically given up. that I really found like, the reason for my depression and it was holding on to this persona that I had cultivated through my time there or like this idea of what I was going to do and what I was going to bring, I was going to bring in that um, I, I held to do it in the persona of Kung Fu Master from Wudang Master. And once I had that realization, it kind of blew me out of myself. Like I, I just experienced awareness purely without any filter, without any attachment to this identity that I was carrying. And that was pretty shocking. Um, but also really liberating, like it liberated marrying that crazy burden of like all the ideas I had that I'd created myself, but I also had from uh, Master Zhong.
it really that was that was a really uh, beautiful and painful moment that transformed transformed the way I related to everything in my life. Like I broke all ties I had because I was like, well, this is, what am I doing? I'm, I'm living someone else's life, basically. It's my experience. And in China really <laughs> led up to that point because while I was cultivating the letting go of uh, my, my tension, my, uh, I was learning about spirituality. I was also building an ego or like a persona that was built around this idea of a true master coming back from the Wudang Mountains. So it was really weird process that I had to kind of really let go of that before I could start to find, well, what do I really want to do then? Like I'm, I'm doing all, all these things based on what I think I should be doing and what other people said I should be doing and I for me. I'm like, well, what's really mine? What is my longing, my genuine desire to create something in this world? And what is actually just an idea that's been implanted in me and that I've kind of rolled with? So I'm curious and, to know. Uh, yeah. So so once you um, shed this this ego and this identity that you know is just a mask, is there a mm -hmm. way that you could um, could still use it, knowing that it's it's just a mask and it's not you? Let's say for uh, social or uh, marketing or business, like can it still be used, but not uh, having ownership over you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How is that identity to serve me rather than to control me? Essentially. Yeah. There's. Uh, it's definitely feels like that's possible. And I think that's still part of my process of integration. Um, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. Like, well, what, what feels good? Like, what's the way of doing this? Like right now I'm, I'm doing something that doesn't look superficially anything like what I was doing before. Like I'm, I'm navigating interpersonal relationships with uh, groups of people. Like this morning, I was facilitating uh, a workshop for Adidas's e-commerce team in Europe, and kind of helping them into their bodies and like how to how to become more transparent and vulnerable in interpersonal connections. Officially, it doesn't really look anything like what I was doing in the mountains but essentially it feels like way closer to the root of it for me because mm. I'm, I'm I'm getting like for me at least I'm like well oh, what is the thing that we call reality 
reality, like this thing we're experiencing, like right here, this experience of reality, where we seem to be in this physical body that we're all inhabiting, and like, well, oh yeah, it's like, it's the question everyone is uh, asking. And like, it's, it's hard to find a good answer for that, other than, well, just because, like, to experience it. Yeah. Like, for experience itself. And, yeah, I totally lost my thread of thought. <laughs> well, well, that brings me into a, another yeah, question. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've read books about Taoism and these things, and I'm wondering, do you see a difference between, like, the, the Taoist practice and uh, that you've lived and the, the Taoist philosophy, maybe the, the Western version that I'm used to? Can you can you define uh, your viewpoint on that? Um, the difference between the Taoist practice. Could you just repeat that? Yeah, like the the traditional Taoist practice, mm-hmm. um, and the kind of Taoist philosophy that um, the we're fed in, in the Western the culture of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's an interesting question because, well, what is Taoism? Like, if you read the first the first line of the Tao Te Ching, it will say, like the classical text that's been around for two thousand five hundred years. It will say. The Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal. So essentially, the Tao that you want or you label in any way, it, it ceases to really be Tao. So Tao is this nameless thing which is all-encompassing and undefi- uh, undefinable. So... Even in that sense, like even the traditional Taoist practices are are kind of also aiming at, but never succeeding fully completely. Uh, Taoism or Tao, because to to merge with the Tao is like relinquishing your identity. But uh, there's definitely a difference. Well, I, I guess the main difference I see, although I don't see a lot of Westerners like really engaging with Taoism, it seems to be more popular with Buddhism and uh, yoga and, and those types of philosophies, but. I guess the main, main difference is yeah, you know, I, I really thought I would have a good answer for this and I felt a bit of pressure to come up with a good answer. So I'm just catching myself here. Like, well, I, I think your, really your first answer, uh, you know, 
the Tao that can be uh, spoken is is not the Tao. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of perfect. We could leave it there. I don't really have a lot to say about that, if I'm honest. I think it was, uh, yeah. I think we're all full of shit. Like as soon as as soon as we claim that something is superior or better. Well, we try to explain it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess for many, my practice, the, the practice I've come up with is like a, a Western bastardization of traditional Taoism. Could be, could be viewed as that. And that's what I was going to ask, because in your practice, you are bringing people into awareness, bringing people into uh, the moment, into em embodiment. And um, so you're trying to achieve this for, I I'm guessing anyone, you know, a regular person, not someone who has to go train for three years in the mountains. So do you think, um, have you found a way that this is uh, easily accessible to everyone? And there's no, um, you know, physical limit to, to barrier of entry. I actually did not pick up much of what you just said. It's uh, terribly annoying that it's uh, cutting out like this. But I don't know. That's okay. You, you probably could have heard everything I said and still not have... Uh... <laughs> I probably didn't say it right. So I'm going to uh, rephrase this. So um, during your your practice, what you're teaching in these workshops uh, seems to be getting people um, into the present awareness, into their bodies. Um, and it looks like everyone can access this. Like there's no barrier to entry mm -hmm. because of a physical limitation um, or skill no. level. Correct. Uh, so how have you found uh, to do this without, you know, saying too much specifics? Yeah. Uh, I can say, definitely say something about that because um, like, there's no one that has ownership of that. Like, you know, like we all have ownership of our experience. And we access it like we all are it. There's no way of not being, really. Of course, like, have our entities and egos and our various levels of identification with that, and that is born out of our and biologically, socially. And well, what I, what I can say about how to do that, at least what I've seen so far, uh, is is simply just stopping and noticing. Like, well, what's what is it like to be me right now? Like what's going on in my experience once I just stop and I'm not going to try and change anything. 
I'm not going to try to escape it or try to do something. I'm just gonna I'm just I'm just gonna slow down for a second and like, well, what's it like? What's moving in me? And not to deny that experience at all. So once we can make space for that, which is what a lot of practices do through meditation, once we can make space for that interpersonally, like, and in this connection now, or what's it like to be us sitting right here, humans, like, half pretend I know what I'm talking about, and also knowing that I don't. It's fucking beautiful, and, is what it is. <laughs> yeah it is and it's like but actually it's such a relief to let go of like having to know and once I I kind of go past that point of resistance and that like oh shit I've got to hold on to I've got to hold on to something don't I have to hold on otherwise like what what's going to happen I'm going to go like that's the fear that lies at the root of it all it seems like that fear of not existing or annihilation that will cease to matter or will do, cease to be important that will be forgotten and I guess that's what we meet and we have to meet that to, to get to that which is Yeah, which is, which is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's beautiful. I mean, it, I I think it kind of touches on what you said in the beginning the 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 performance, the dance versus the kind of deeper experience. And um, what I like is the fact that there is no skill or thing that you have to teach to get there. It, you know the path you have to take it's available with everything right sitting here brushing your teeth walking insert any exercise they're all tools to the to experience to the present moment it's it's almost like everything's available to us which you could confront and then be like oh shit well then how do i take ownership over this as a teacher like what do, what's the method i teach when it's really everywhere around us, everything. Um, so I man, I would love <laughs> to, to come to one of your workshops and I'm excited that you're gonna give us a small taste um, in OMU. So could you, um, could you talk about uh, not exactly what you're gonna present in OMU, but what you hope people will get out of it Yeah, what I hope people will get out of what I'm presenting in OMU. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, in what I'll be presenting in OMU, I'll, I guess I'll be into the structure. Like, it will, it will be more around structural, like discovering the body. And 
cultivating sensitivity. And and part of it will be like, well, just giving giving tools for how to um this for more of their embodied experience in movement. And what I get out of it is just yeah, motion to their body. Like more awareness of how their body moves. What it's like to walk. And like the hundreds and thousands of things that are happening that we're mostly just not conscious of. So yeah, we won't, I, I doubt we're going into kind of deep spiritual work there, but it will be more on the physical plane, like, well, we're in this fleshy vehicle with bones and sinews and like, oh, what can we do with it? It's also a really interesting question and a dimension to explore. Although that's not really at the heart of my work more. It's, it's also something I'm passionate Like, really glad I developed through those years of dedicated training. So yeah, more sensitivity greater enjoyment and some new tools for how to explore their own movement practice. Could this be categorized under uh, the Tai Chi practice? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it will be based on Tai Chi and there will also be some uh, Elements of Agua, like uh, another internal martial art, which is like it's, uh, it's full of spirals and there's like loads of stuff going on. Oh, yeah. It's really a lot of fun. It's way more fun than Tai Chi. It's so dynamic and it's like people talk about it as like the art of the swimming dragons. It's like you're swimming, which I think makes it freaking beautiful. And it's one of those practices I loved doing, although like the, the basics of it were grueling, like basically just walking in circles for hours on end. Like that's how you train like the foundation of it because it's circle walking. And then there's all of these uh, body movements that go along with it. A very specific way of shifting the weights, a very specific way of being in movement and like really flowing. So you're not kind of, you're not really, uh, yeah, you just want to get smooth. And the weight shift is like instantaneous from foot to foot, not in Tai Chi, where it's really slowly transitioning from foot to foot. Like instantaneous, yeah, it's uh, something we'll go more into into in the in the videos but it's a fascinating art and something as simple as walking ha carries so much nuance depth 
to be explored. And I think it's a really neglected part of uh, practice. Like how to walk, and like what are we actually doing when we're walking? So like normally we don't think about, or think about like, wow, there are all these different ways I can shift my weight. So personally, in your day-to-day, how much, how much awareness do you try to bring into your, your actions and your schedule? Like, have you ever, this, this is something that I would like to accomplish one day, is just following the breath for a whole day. And I've never, <laughs> I never got close. It seems impossible, but like the fact of just more creating more time in the day, more awareness throughout the day. Um, like I said, which is kind of, it's irrelevant what you're doing because it could be with anything, right? Um, mm-hmm. are, are you mindful of this? Yeah, or I try to be, and I fail, and then I try again. So, um, I, I think a real, real reason we fail, a big reason we fail at is because we're constantly navigating interpersonal relationships and solitary meditation doesn't really give us good tools for how to deal with those gives us good tools uh, for how to deal with ourselves like oh well what happens if I just notice myself but when we get into connection with someone else that can form a really strong foundation but are not conscious of how we're relating and we're just going to really get pushed out of our centers really often so what for me was like well all of those moments are actually moments you can have a deeper awareness and like create more connection and it's I think the ultimate question is like, well, what, what wants to happen right now? Like if I really mean this moment fully, what wants to happen? And if I'm unable to meet the moment fully or I'm unwilling to do that which my being is calling for, then I'm not going to succeed in being present. I'm going to be uh, pushing reality away or that which once drew me away. So that's, that's a big, big part of it. I think is getting more competent at navigating interpersonal relationships. Although navigating ourselves is a really big part of it, obviously also. Yeah, that's and, uh one of the reasons oh i'm sorry continue no go ahead 
I was going to say, yeah, when you said that, I, I automatically thought that's why I love um, float tanks so much is because mm. it just shuts out the outside world and I don't have to deal with the noise or any other, you know, stimulus coming in. I could just, just yeah. breathe pretty much. Um, and that is a, mm. a, a crutch in a way. Mm. Yeah, well, like, <laughs> the, the metaphor that comes to mind is like, well, it's training wheels for your for your uh, ability to stay present, right? So we need to practice in some place because the world is really confusing and messy and unpredictable. So like, how are we going to train that in the, in the middle of a busy city when we can't even think straight? Like, we've got to find that stillness first, that clarity of mind. And, yeah, I guess a float tank is a really good place to do that because it just shuts out all of the, or a lot of the senses. So there's stimuli, so you're kind of left with yourself in a more easy-to-manage state. Yeah, so I guess it's like we're on top of a mountain. It's like, well, it's, it's easy to meditate and be spiritual on top of a mountain away from civilization when all of your needs are met and taken care of. When you're in reality, like dealing with really core issues of like how to feed yourself and like all of these things we're forced to deal with as humans, like, then it's way harder. <laughs> it's way fucking harder. We've got to, like, take care of ourselves, maybe our children. And, uh, yeah. The Buddha didn't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he said peace yes. to his kids. Yeah. He's like, I got to get enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> He had his priorities in order. <laughs> yeah, that's the secret to it. <laughs> well, I mean, in a sense, there there is a thread that you do have to take care of yourself first before you could really help give that to others. Or not. Maybe that's just a bullshit line. I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. It seems that's been the case, though. Like, that's what they advise in airplanes, right? Put on your own oxygen mask first before helping others. You're pretty useless to others if you're unconscious. So I guess that's a pretty good rule. I'm sure there are many exceptions to it. I guess as far as rules go, they're pretty, it's, it's a good one. Like, take care of yourself first. Make sure, sure that you are able to function. Because, mm. like, well, if you have, if you have jump or like, you're going to be very useless to them if you if you're not in a good place. Of course, there's like a balance. Like, what's the balance there? Yeah. Because there's no. Uh, oh well, my. 
my kid really needs dinner, but like I've got to have my two hour float tank ritual. So I've, I'm going to go spend my time there and they'll just be hungry in the meantime. Like there's seems to be some line somewhere where we've got to feel ourselves, I guess, where we want to put our, what's the level of self care we need. Uh, yeah, it's, it's such a tricky. Maybe it's all bullshit. Yeah, said. yeah, that, that line is, is, um, it's tricky. I mean, I've heard like, yeah. there's a lot of new parents who use the family as an excuse not to follow their dream or, you know, go after their, their passion because it's like, I, I got kids. And then that kind of, defeatist victim uh, mentality feeds into the kids and they grow up with that, you know? So, but, but mm -hmm. you do have to take care of them. So it's like, yeah, where, where do you, how do you navigate that space? Um, yeah. Uh, who knows? Yeah. What, what comes to mind is something like a, something Jim Carrey actually, or a lesson he learned from his father, his, his father apparently sacrificed doing what to get like a safe steady job so he could care for his children and then at some point he got fired and he got laid off and then they really struggled so Jim carries well do what you want because you can you can also fail at what you don't want to do so I'll go for what you really, really deeply want Great advice. Yeah. Mm. All right. We got one minute left on this chat. Um, so I'm going to close it down and reopen it up and then we'll finish up. Sound good? Cool. All right. Back on. Yeah, uh, one more thing I wanted to tease out. Um, so watching your videos, I mean, the, the expression that you're able to convey through movement, uh, you know, through your, your physical practices. It's beautiful to watch, you know, it, you and also it, John Yoon, two people, I, you know, love watching the art form of it. Um, but it's interesting, I heard you say, um, not that you express yourself, but you let it express through you. Um, and I'm mm -hmm. sure we could define it as many things that through many different lenses. Um, but could you um, talk about that a little bit? Yeah. About letting it express through you rather than expressing something. Um, it's really hard to put into words what that is, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, well, what I discovered for myself was if I let go and I step out of my own way and I just get really curious about what wants to happen, like on a physical level, like what am I feeling moving in me? Because there seems to be all the movement happening, actually. 
if we just listen closely. It's like now, right now, even now, like what's what's moving and what went through me? And how much space can I make for that? And I think a, a key thing with that is I never know. I can never control what comes out then. So it's, I, I, have no, I have no power over what is expressed if I'm really surrendering through me. Whether that be kind of my own emotions that are showing themselves or it's like my connection to uh, going on more broadly in the space. If it's a connection to you, for example, as I'm, as I'm feeling it, like how is it impacting me? So if I'm close, what moves through me, it's a surrendering of wanting to appear in a certain way. Or even having any ownership over what's It's like becoming a vessel, whatever you want to call it. Or <laughs> something. Mm. Something else like which easily sounds a bit pompous when I say it, but it's not really from a um that makes sense. Um and I'm also wondering if we look at the lens through through it being maybe the 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 deep um the elephant in, instead of the rider which would be a rational prefrontal cortex the eye um or, mm. or that that subconscious could could this also be an expression of of i guess trauma or or something that we were suppressing sure. or some or the shadow self in a sense is this also yeah could be used as a method to really just let all that come to the surface? Yeah, sure. Uh, and that's, that's almost always where it leads, uh, at least at first. It's like, well, if I surrender how I want to appear to the world, then I just really close to what's already there. And that's almost always the case for human beings is deep hurt and grief over that was not not the way we wanted it to be or needed it to be like we're all in as children we're all really in need of this uh, unconditional acceptance and love but very few of it we all uh, lack in some way some more so it's definitely a way of getting and I surprised myself many times when I went into those spaces what came out of me like I, I had no idea there was so much there it seems to be 
when I when I lead workshops in this that have deep dives, this is what people meet themselves, whether it's like the resistance. As as soon as we go there, it's like, well, what am I gonna do then? Like this is what I've been doing my whole life is trying to appear this way. Although that's not necessarily a conscious process. But when we let go of those rules that dictate how we think we should be behaving and how what we think should happen and how we think once we let go of that, there's I don't know if you hear that in the background, so my baby. No. Oh, uh oh. Yeah, if, if you have to, right to leave early. No, no, no. She's got it handled. But yeah, there's. We're, we're confronted with all of the ways we're not doing that presently. And that shows itself through the body in a variety of ways. It could, it could be that you just freeze. That you totally freeze, you're like, oh fuck. I I don't know what to do when I'm in this gonna freeze. Because it's so scary. Or maybe you'll wanna run away. Or you'll want it in some way. Or, or blame blame me for not telling you what to do. Which also happens. Like, well, what are you doing? You're not telling me what to do. I'm just you're just like doing nothing basically you're just speaking about like get close to yourself well i could have done that at home but we don't do that very often but it seems always some unique expression of that hurt and sometimes there's a lot of resistance to being with it other times there's not that much resistance to being with it and it, it's it's always a fascinating discovery with everyone I work with I think just that just the simple fact of getting wanting to get close to what it's like to be can lead to so much so it's not really a desire to change them is coming from, and that seems to be key, that it's like really getting to what it's like to be you right now. And, and if there's enough trust for you to show it to me, because that's undoubtedly one of, one of the most vulnerable things to have, like when we can really get close to who we are. To really truly share that with someone. Hmm. Yeah, that's um. I'm so glad you're you're doing that work, and it sounds like you're passionate about that um, through movement. And I think that's yeah. that's one of the the uses of physical practice and movement that is so important, and that's underutilized in a sense is accessing these um uh states states of the nervous system yeah, i mean i heard you mention like freeze flight uh fight like going through these yeah. because um 
you know, this is kind of where that, that trauma is held and to access that through movement, which is very natural. Uh, and to, you know, not, not control it or not to go for a certain outcome, but actually experience it and face it. And I think that that combined with the, the physical practice is a tool to, to get in touch and, and dive deep in. Um, so I know my, my view of movement has, has changed a lot recently. Um, do you think, I know we talked a little bit about the choreographed, the skills portion of movement, which is helpful. I mean, it increases options and, and freedom, but the, what you are accessing or experiencing through these tools, um, you don't see you don't see that talked about much in, in the physical practice realm. Um, and honestly, one of the only mainstream practices I think that tapped into that was uh, CrossFit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as much as we want to make fun of it, they were going to some, some deep places uh, during some of these workouts, especially in the group setting. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, I just want to know your your view of of why move, of mm. what are what is what is the why or intention behind the movement practice? Because I think a lot of people it is just to get the skills, which is okay. Um, but I think you're you're going uh, beyond this, not on the outside level, uh, I guess you could say, but as far as the intention behind it, um, how do you view movement as a, as a tool and a practice? Yeah, that's an interesting question, like the, the why. Um, well, I have my, my why, I guess. because I enjoy it. Um, part of it is because I, I like maintaining my physique. I like, I like uh, having the freedom to move, but also my body looking a certain way. And, and I think that's like something that's also a bit uh, demonized or it's been made wrong like well oh, you shouldn't be doing it for those reasons to appear aesthetically beautiful but that that appeals to us for a reason like well why do we find something beautiful it's because it looks healthy and it looks like it's capable of of doing what it's meant to be doing like our body is meant to be functional like that's what it evolved for. So, yeah, yeah I think there are levels. I don't think any of the motivations are necessarily bad. They're like, well, my motivation for training when I was 15 was just purely to look good aesthetically. And I've never left that. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that just stayed with me as like the top priority. <laughs> no, but it's like that that got included into a bigger whole. It's not that's not the main reason I train these days, although it's a really important part of it, obviously. It's uh it's like I I move, I move and I train now because I enjoy it. And because I enjoy exploring my body and I enjoy making various shapes and I enjoy uh, gaining new capabilities and stretching my capacity. And it seems like all of those kind of lower motivations or those less admirable motivations are like stepping stones to kind of loftier or more noble uh, drives if you want to <laughs> phrase it that way but so yeah my my why is i enjoy it and i feel shit when i don't do it so i just keep on doing it because that seems the thing to do and included in that are all of these kind of more primal motivations around around sexuality and and status and these things also exist yeah i almost feel like those are are necessary we couldn't have anything higher without these baser um fundamental biological drives like i like to play yeah, a little thought experiment yeah like i wonder if, if because I always think at the deepest level, it is a sexual value that we're trying to increase through through training or through anything we do, money, work, mm -hmm. art, like down below, yeah. like that's going to get in there. That's and if that were removed, driving force, yeah. <laughs> like if if females or or that would not increase our value, training at all, or money at all, I just imagine we would be bums. Uh, like <laughs> not going after any of these things. So I, yeah, I think it is like it builds the the platform for us to have these higher um, uh, ideals of of why we're doing this practice, which is great, you know. Which is it's maybe yeah. why it's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a really primary uh, primary force that's that I neglect or you push away at your own peril like I think if you try push it it's just gonna retreat into shadow so it's it's not gonna go away but it's just gonna kind of hide it's gonna be there judging other people for having like wanting to look good oh look at that guy he just he just cares about how it looks like in that judgment there's like most likely a big repressed part that's that's just crying out to be included but instead it's just mm. just kind of judging and being uh malevolent from being. yeah the, the dragon that you're feeding in the in the dark shadows yeah yeah 
All right, so I want to start doing some quick fire questions before I let you go real quick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> quick fire segment. <laughs> um, so, Biarte, I mean, you're talking to you. I mean, you're such a grounded person. It's, it's like a little micro dose. It feels like that I'm taking. It's, it's a great experience conversing with you. Um, have you done any uh, deep psychedelic work? Are you uh, comfortable talking about that? Uh, I caught, I didn't hear actually what your question was, but I'm assuming it was like, have I use of uh, plant substances or was that it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's not something I, uh, I normally share about, but uh, and but I've definitely relations that have been facilitated by um, that have been deep, profound uh, experiences for me. I say they've they've helped me on the way. Need to see where I'm. Fault basically, but they only seem to do that when I'm in the right setting. So they don't. Yeah, they need to be respected in order for that to happen. In my opinion, and. I think, or just just my feeling about it is that on their own, they're not gonna necessarily lead to sustainable change. They seem to have to be, well, that's my opinion anyway, that they really benefit from being accompanied with a deeper practice that surrounds it and helps facilitate those insights being integrated into your being. So that's like a, a one-off uh, into the mystical become like a little ah oh, right oh shit this is really there's something here for me to explore and they can be like a little opener up into a, a deeper reality and a stronger connection to yourself Yeah, it's something it's something I've explored in the past and probably will at some point in the future again too. And I notice I feel a bit talking about it. Or and I notice I'm afraid of being judged for that also. Yeah, it's that's still totally still, normal. Yeah. It's still a yeah, it's still a taboo subject. Yeah, I've uh, I've felt that too, um, mm. but I feel like it. Where I live, I think it's going to be recreational legalized in a couple of years. <laughs> so uh, yeah, mm. I think I think the tide's shifting as far as that, and it's it's a great tool. Um, yeah, well, and actually, where I'd I'm love to bring you out here. Is. Oh, oh, is it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Amsterdam, right? So. 
I'm I'm actually lucky in that way that if I want to use it, I can I can just go to the corner smart shop and I can buy some truffles. Mm. So, yeah, here in Amsterdam, it's not really uh, that. Yeah, nothing is right. (laughs) (laughs) You lucky bastard! Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well. I'd, I'd love to bring you out to, to Joshua Tree and, uh, and we can explore together sometime. Um, mm. Another thing I wanted to ask you about quickly is, yeah, it would be, <laughs> um, is, is the, the concept of chi. So I'm wondering how you view energy and, and what is it we're, we're moving and do you, I'm guessing, I'm guessing your view of energy and, and, and chi, because I know it's a word people throw around, but uh, I'd like to get your take on it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, what is that? I don't, I don't really know like what it is. It's, I just have an experience. It's, And I guess it's something that scientifically we don't, there's no evidence directly for it, like whatever it is. To me, I feel as a life force that's moving in me. And a life force, it's like a life force that's either, I guess, you might interpret it as being the nervous system. Like, it's like how much fluidity in your nervous system and how much power is there, like available for you to radiate and fill yourself with. And like, and how much access do you have to that? And I think that's something Tai Chi cultivates is like access to, to regular nervous system through softening and releasing it so that you can you can choose to engage it and you can choose to bring it back to a resting state also so but uh chinese think of chi as like this energy that's in your body that's like vital energy that's animating you that you you get within yourself, and it also seems this call it UNT, which is original, original, and that you have a limited supply of that you can kind of squander by ejaculating, uh, indulging. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one way you can squander it. Yeah, sure or drinking too much, or, yeah, excesses in any way. I mean, I personally feel a loss of vitality um, if I'm orgasming too frequently. And I want to say there was a, a Taoist formula, like your age in a certain amount of days, where it gave you, like, how often you should ejaculate 
um, to kind of sustain your, your peak vitality. I forget what it was. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I, it, who knows what's going on, but I, I feel that as an N1 just subjectively. Um, but, but it's interesting that there's a whole yeah. practice around this. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. Uh, and there are varying opinions on it. Like, a lot of, like, like when we're teenagers, we have this insane sex drive and like, it seems to be totally insatiable. And then as we grow older, kind of get more and more depleted from it, I guess. Um, there are so many different opinions on it. And, and personally, I guess I, I definitely feel it if I do it too often. Like, and if it's not done in a good way, like, because it can be an act of self-love or love between um, between two people also, of course. But it's it's like, how how is it, how do you read points of orgasm? Seems to be uh, uh, really crucial if it happens in kind of a contracted way where you're just like trying to get it out which is the case when it's like like used as a distraction you're you're not really mindful of what you're doing uh or, or if you're watching porn for example then that's in the way it's expressed is like as a contraction and that's like a need to get something out and and the way I see that is like it could be be just a squandering of life force yeah I, I mean I, I view it totally different now in my life like is is the cost of the ticket worth the ride uh, <laughs> I mean even even like a sex with a partner it sounds bad, but I almost feel like um, I almost feel a little bit of resentment, like they took some life force from me, <laughs> like I gave it away. And I think it's different with like males and females. Females are almost energetically vitalized after sex, where men, it's like we we died a little bit, <laughs> you know? Like, well, I feel like there's this shift of energy. The step of falling um, asleep. So like the man falling asleep afterwards. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, I want to keep as much of that as I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a lot of tantric practices that uh, like really, really practice the cultivation of that and the straightness around nation like they take that very seriously. And I think with this as with everything, like there's a balance possible. And if you really are close to yourself and what you need, you can feel that. But of course, being cl close to yourself and what you need is probably one of the hardest things to do.
ever. So that's maybe not mm. advice because it's yeah. part of the whole process of maturation. So in that case, like strict guidelines can be helpful, but they can also be limiting in, in other ways. Mm. So, so, yeah. So the idea, all, but... well, yeah, it, it's definitely going to change my, my masturbation practice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I can. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> you're going to be on my mind next time. Yeah, but it all ties back to, to energy and, and, you know, the, the experience mm. that you're using the tool for. Um, and one last question we've talked about, you know, movement, internal movement and, and experience. How do you tie in breath or breath work? Do you have a separate practice for this? Is it um, intertwined with your um, other practices? How do you approach uh, breath and breathing? Yeah, breath work. Well, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have like breath work oriented practices. Like it's included in a lot of what I do. The way I deal with the breath is I most often just witness it and make space for the witnessing of it without needing to change it, but more like, oh, what's your breath doing right now? And more often than not, just the observation of it will start to change it. And of course in Tai Chi, like they, a belly breathing is preferable. Like breathing deeply with the belly. But if you force that also, you can just, you can create problems through forcing it. So I guess it's, not really my specialty to like to really work with the body through the breath. Uh, breath. I I work with the body through sensation, and that's how I that's how I access the body. It's like through sensation, and that could be the sensations of the breath also. Like, what are those sensations like? The breath is crazy powerful like if you really tune into it and because it's it's one of these of course you know it's one of these mechanisms that can be both uh rated just automatically and consciously so it's a powerful connection to regulating your nervous system and and that's the, like one of the only ways we know, uh, or like that science knows, I guess, of how to regulate your nervous system. It's like by, well, it's by having a longer exhale than an in, than your inhale. By extending the time you exhale, you are lower, lowering your heart rate through the mechanism of the vagal break influence that has on 
in your heart. So there's definitely a deep link to the subconscious that comes through the breath. And done quite a bit of that work myself through the Taoist practices, but my real expertise on it, I guess, is quite limited since that's not the focus I have. Well, I think we're all experts on it since we're, if we didn't do it, we'd die. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that answer. The, uh, it, there's actually another uh, Tai Chi practitioner who gave me a similar answer too. It's funny, like, like breath work, like just be aware of it. You know, it was, it was a silly idea for them to try to like do these certain protocols <laughs> or tempos. They're like, just, just watch it. Just be aware of it. So, um, yeah, I guess that's that's my preference for it. It's just like, well, it's it's something you can be aware of, and it's something you cannot be aware of. And and I know that there are approaches that can really help some people by by like really paying close attention to it. But in the end, your breath is just there anyway. You're just doing it, and 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 it's something that can have a profound impact on your on your mental state, on your emotional states. So it's something to be, something that's good to be aware of. Yeah, it's, it's amazing tool, like you mentioned, uh, on the nervous system. I mean, the fact that every inhalation is, uh, you know, a, a sympathetic stimulation and response and every exhalation is parasympathetic, just that, that wave is, yeah, it's, it's beautiful and amazing and ties in mm. the life itself, right? Yeah. All right, Bjarte, well, thank you so much for chatting with me, man. Uh, I look forward yeah. to hearing from you uh, when you teach in OMU in a couple weeks. Yeah. And yeah, man. I'm looking forward to that too. I am excited. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, it's been a fun ride, man. All right, go. Uh, we covered a lot of grounds. <laughs> go uh, tuck your baby in, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna go swaddle her up and see if she's ready to sleep soon. All right, have a good night, man. Okay, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. Bye. Peace out.